0: You're listening to the Leadership in Theology with a the Cup of Joe podcast. Welcome to the Leadership in Theology with a the Cup of Joe podcast. My name is Joe Contreras, and today I'm with the man, the myth, the legend, and David <laughs> Vasquez. He is a two-and-a-half-year SGA president at Vanguard University. It was a time. <laughs> and currently the Senior Director of External Relations um, at Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Today we'll be talking about effective leadership. Let's take a drink.
1: Awesome. <laughs> love it. Joe, I have to confess too, I'm not drinking a cup of Joe. I'm drinking some tea this morning. So I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker, but we're going to make this work.
0: That's perfectly fine. You yeah, know? All are welcome. But all of, our, all of our listeners today are are drinking a cup of okay. Joe. Okay,
1: <laughs> <laughs> But I'm happy to be with the Joe this morning.
0: Yes, absolutely. So yeah. wh- exactly what, what is your role currently at, at Vanguard?
1: Yeah. First Joe, Thanks for letting me be on your show. Yeah, I know thanks I, for coming I, I, on. I, when you came out with your first podcast, I sent you an email, and I said, "How do I get on your show?" And it took months and months, but we're we're here. We're here <laughs> now. I kind of begged, "Hey, you know, let me be on this." So it's uh, exciting to be here, and I think you're awesome. Excited you. to see what God does in your life and what He's doing now. And uh, I feel like I can be interviewing you and talk about leadership. <laughs> so, the question you asked is what I do at Vanguard? Yes. Yeah. So I oversee external relations. Uh, What does that mean? Uh, It's my responsibility to kind of build relationships uh, with folks that um, are outside of the university. So businesses, corporations, foundations, um, government officials and organizations and try to plug them into some of the exciting things that we have taking place um, at Vanguard. So I'm kind of thinking about it like an ambassador for the university out in the community.
0: Um, What other leadership roles do you currently have? Because I know you you got quite a bit on your your plate. Well, leadership roles, gosh.
1: Um, So I uh, serve on the planning commission for the City of Orange. What is that? Uh, We make decisions of land use in the City of Orange, uh, which is essentially like where do new buildings go, shopping centers, Mm -hmm. malls, apartments, um, you name it. We kind of make decisions um, in that regard. And... You know leadership sometimes I'm a follower, sometimes I'm a leader, sometimes it's both and um but I'm a father uh started uh being a father four months ago. my wife and I had our first kid elijah david and um and so trying to figure out life as a dad and and
0: lead uh lead my son in that regard That's awesome congratulations thank you um now you mentioned a little bit about sometimes you're a leader and sometimes you're a follower. How do you know when to balance those two things? So I think that
1: that's fair, right? I think sometimes our leadership just comes from sometimes people are looking for somebody to lead. sometimes there's naturally a void right and that can be a problem. Sometimes there could be two really two or more people who feel like they want to lead, and there can be some tension. but I think naturally, my areas of where I feel I'm supposed to lead are just feeling it out. you know where is there something unique that I could bring to the table? Um, or where I feel called to lead in that regard. Um, sometimes your leadership has been appointed to you. You know, you're the student body president, at Vanguard. That means you're always leading in that regard, right? You're you ha- you have been selected by students to be the leader. Um, and then in terms of following, you know, I think um, that sometimes we think about leadership as being. I have to be the person that comes up with the idea. Yeah. I have to be the person who speaks. I have to be the person who, um, you know, is kind of always on it and on top of it. And I don't think that's really the view of leadership. Um, I think really the view of leadership is how are you bringing people together and how are you from that place empowering others to be their full selves and yeah. to live with their passions and the way that God has equipped them. And so I think about leadership as more as, you know, a conductor of a, of a great uh, musical ensemble where it's like it takes that person who's, you know, to lead, you know, that great person who's playing saxophone, that great person who's playing piano, however you want to name it, right? Because that's yeah. that's what it takes. And it's somebody's responsibility to kind of bring it all
0: together in that regard. It's awesome. Yep. Thanks. So every leader has this desire to be effective, to be mm-hmm. successful in mm-hmm. producing a desired or intended result. Right. Um, what are some ways that you see effective leaders, or how to be an effective leader? All right. So a few a few principles along those lines.
1: Um, how to be an effective leader? You know, yeah. you don't want to just be out there, and you know, either people aren't following you, or you're not getting the results that either you intend or the group intends. So uh, as I've kind of, you know, my, my experience is, um, I would just encourage people if you want to be effective, go where the energy is. Hmm. So what I mean by that? You know, where are things already naturally happening? You know, where is there already energy and things that are being built up? Cause I think sometimes we can try to make things happen, try to make things happen. And if it's not happening, that's, that might not be the area Unless God has called you to it and it's been very clear, that might not be the area to focus your leadership. So I think, number one, how to be effective, go where the energy is. And I think if you think about your own life or times in your own ministry or leadership, you might be able to think about times where there was not energy and you focused your energy there and it didn't work out. So Mm -hmm. go where the energy is. Uh, Secondly, if you want to be effective, ask questions. I think a good leader ask questions and ask the right questions. So that means ask yourself questions. Okay. Am I focused on the right thing? Am I, am I, am I resting? You know, am I, am I thinking about this the right way? So ask yourself questions and then ask others questions as well, right? Uh, Get a sense of where people are, get a sense of what's important to them, what makes them tick. Um, Are they viewing things the way that you're viewing things? You know, is there some ambiguity there or is there some tension there? So a good leader asks questions. A good leader goes where the energy is. Uh, The third thing I would say is a good leader to be effective has to be adaptable. Hmm. Um, And so, you know, you need to adapt to either, you know, maybe there's a consensus that's different than yours. You need to adapt to maybe the first time you try something, it doesn't go the right way. Your leadership also needs to be adaptable. I think that sometimes we think, okay, I'm only going to lead for my strengths, and I think generally that's true. You know, God has called you to lead how you're wired, and usually that means in the areas that you feel like are your your strong suits. But I would say sometimes you also have to say, okay, is that working? You know, is that area that I feel like I'm really strong? Is that the strength that's needed or do I need to kind of exercise a different strength that maybe I wouldn't normally go to? So, okay, want to be effective, go where the energy is, uh, you know, ask questions and be adaptable. It's awesome.
0: Now, we see Nehemiah in the Bible. He's a great example of an effective leader. Mm -hmm. Um, Who is Nehemiah first? Can you explain to the audience and to us who is Nehemiah? So one of the things I told Joe beforehand
1: was kind of Nehemiah for me uh, in the Bible is kind of the blueprint for my framework for leadership. Um, Both his life, his ministry, uh, his answer to God's call on his life. Are, co- are like continually things that I, I will think about when I when I lead or if I think about myself as a leader so who is Nehemiah Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king um, and he was uh, somebody who kind of actually serving you know, as cupbearer of king he kind of served in a secular government you know obviously was somebody who was a follower of God but he was not kind of in traditional ministry in that regard and I think that's a lot of people or listening to your show, right? That maybe feel a call of God in their life. Uh, But maybe it's not to full-time vocational ministry. Maybe it's to the marketplace, to law, to politics, to business, whatever it might be. Um, So I love that, number one, right? Uh, But he was somebody who we kind of find in the very beginning of the book of Nehemiah that somebody comes to him with a report. And the report is, literally this is Nehemiah chapter one, the first few verses, hey, the walls of Jerusalem have been, in, they lie in ruins, you know, they're in, they're being burned down. Um, and that's the report he receives. And there are a few kind of ways that he responds from when he hears that news that I think are great examples of leadership. Can I get into that? Yeah, Is that absolutely. Okay. Yeah. okay. So Nehemiah 1, like I said, he hears that the walls have been burnt with fire, the walls lie in ruin, and the walls were important because they weren't just like security, but they were also, you know, for the people of Israel to freely worship, they had to have security to to do that. So he hears the news, and oftentimes, you know, we can see things that that stir us, we can hear bad news, and we kind of, our our response is to be, like, we want to dissociate ourselves from it. Mm -hmm. But Nehemiah leans in, so I think good leaders lean in. Um, and his first response is not, okay, cool, I'm going to do something about it. Uh, the Bible records uh, in Nehemiah 1, verse 4, and I just want to read it. He said, this is Nehemiah speaking, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept. And um, I, I, to me, that's just like the most profound thing. Here's somebody who's a high stature position in the government. He hears something and he just, it just, it chokes him. It hurts him. And so the question I'd have for your viewers is, what causes you to weep? Um, what is that thing? What is that thing that you're really stirred to, that you're really passionate about? Um, and I think leaders, right, we, we should find that area. We should find that area where we say, no, this matters to me. This is an important either position, an important place, important situation I want to lead. So what I love is he doesn't just cry and just kind of like, okay, bad news, he resolves himself to say, I'm going to be the one to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And um, if I can just step into the next principle with that is he doesn't just uh, say, OK, great. This is what we're going to do. You know, we need X, X pounds of concrete <laughs> and we need to get X number of men to make this work. Uh, Nehemiah chapter two, the whole chapter is Nehemiah just going to examine the walls. So he's just inspecting and he's seeing are, are things the way that I think they are? Mm-hmm. How bad is the situation? You know, he's taking an account to everything, like the real actual situation of the wall, what's going on. And I think that's a great example for us as leaders is, are we inspecting? Yeah. Are we listening? Are we asking questions? Is kind of what I was saying earlier. Are we examining, you know, the walls, the spaces, the areas, the situation before we do something yeah and i think that i love that the bible is really intentional in this in this chapter uh chapter two to focus i mean it's really intentional nehemiah is just he's going at not going alone at night when nobody else is there he doesn't want anybody else to see and he's just inspecting what does nehemiah do after he inspects the walls great so he inspects the walls and after that point he goes to the people and he says hey your walls our walls lie in ruins so what are we going to do yeah. And uh, the Bible, he, he basically goes to them and says, hey, let us, like, let's rebuild the walls together. Let's do it. And the Bible records that the people responded, like, let us rebuild. Like, the, I just vision this, like, chant of all these people. And they're saying, like, yeah, let us rebuild. And then the Bible says, so they began this good work. Um, and I love that. That's, like, the language that the people who were involved in rebuilding the walls, they felt like they were involved in a good work. And what's crazy is uh, Nehemiah chapter 3, I like jokingly call it the most like boring book <laughs> chapter in the Bible because all it is is that it just lists all of the names of people in the community that rebuilt the wall. And it's just like literally like the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so who was the son of so-and-so, they built the gate. And like the son of so-and-so was the son of so-and-so, they built like the, to- uh, the top part of the wall. And what I love about that is that it really shows like Nehemiah's leadership was not the Nehemiah show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was not all about him. And I think sometimes, you know, we, we lose sight of what we're doing and who we're doing it with. And I, I think that it's a great example that it takes people. It takes others. And, it, and, and leadership is, as you heard me say earlier, is empowering others to be involved in good work. Yeah. And I think it's
0: very clear. I, I think it's a great example. That's awesome. What what else stands out about Nehemiah to you? So, um,
1: so in Nehemiah, so I talked about Nehemiah chapter three. Nehemiah chapter four and Nehemiah chapter six is all about opposition. Mm. And anybody listening to this this show knows that opposition is a real thing. The haters are real. You know, the naysayers are real. The voice of doubt in our own mind is real. The enemy is real, you know. Um, and so I, th- I think it's a great um, example that in anything that you do, that you put your mind to, any, particularly anything that God has called you to do, mm-hmm. opposition will be a real thing. So Nehemiah, his, his character
0: mm-hmm.
1: is questioned, right? His integrity. Uh, people are saying, oh, he's not going to get it done. You know, he's not going to be able to do it. Uh, there was uh, somebody who accused him of, oh, he's just trying to rebuild the wall because he wants to take over and be king. So he's trying to get all the community on board so they can make him the new king. And none of that was true. And um, I think that oftentimes, or sometimes I should say, um, when things get hard, when opposition comes, we look for our exit. You know, it's like, where can I go to get out of this, right? And I think sometimes our prayer, even as Christians, as, as leaders who are Christians can be like, hey, God, get me out of this situation. Like, get me out of this. This is really difficult. Or, you know, hey, God, are you sure I'm, I'm the person you've called to do this? Last thing I'll say on this is Nehemiah prays a prayer about opposition that I think that for me is like a guiding prayer. Uh, the Bible says in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 9, that um, he says, you know, the people were all trying to frighten us, uh, saying that it's going to be too hard for us to rebuild the walls. And then he says a prayer and the prayer is, oh God, strengthen my hands. I love that. Oh God, strengthen my hands. And to me, that's this prayer of like, God, you've called me to do this work. You've called me to lead. You've called us as a community to rebuild the walls. Give me strength. Give my hands, my, like my literal physical hands that are in, involved in the effort of rebuilding the wall. Give me strength to get this done. And that to me is a prayer of leadership. You know, when the hard times come, or even when you start out and everybody's excited and all the passion's there, it's like, God, give me strength to do this. You know, God, protect me. God, give me the energy I need. Give me the resources I need. Bring the people that I need to make this happen. And, and, and what did he do? He finished rebuilding the wall in 52 days, you know, and he did that. You wouldn't have done it alone, but 52 days without the modern machinery that we have and equipment, uh, just a group of people who said, I want to be involved in that good work. Took a person who said, hey, I want to be the person to go get people together, rebuild the wall. In 52 days, they got it done. That's what can happen when you pray that kind of prayer. God, strengthen my
0: hands. That's amazing. How do leaders that feel like they're losing their passion for something reignite their passion for something?
1: Yeah, that's natural, right? I think kind of like any good thing when you're in it for some time um, can get old, right? It's kind of like, Hey, pick your favorite restaurant. If you visit there for every day, you know, for a year, at some point it might kind of lose its, you know, attractiveness and you might uh, think, hey, this is kind of getting old here. But um, what can they do? I think um, I w- practical things, I would encourage people to, like, keep some sort of journal of because, like, when you write down, the, you know, the things, especially in the beginning, that you're really excited and passionate about when you're leading – um you need to be reminded of that so i think you know in your it's helpful to go back and read your own words about what you're excited about or when there was a really exciting moment you know to go back so it's practical keep a journal you know a little log of what you did or what you're doing or what god has done uh second thing is just you have to stay you have to stay close to the holy spirit you know because it is going to happen it is natural we're going to lose our energy we're going to lose our passion. That's normal, you know. We're human.
0: Yeah,
1: um, we need a constant, a constant infusion, really, of the Holy Spirit to get us, get us in the work, to get us through the grind. Because that's normal. Uh, and I think thirdly would be just surround yourself with a few people, even if it's one person, to encourage you. I think every leader. Um, and by the way, anybody who's watching, you're leading somebody, you know, even if it's just one person, you're, you're a leader in your own sphere. If it's your younger brother views you as a leader, you're leading, you know? Um, but I would just say, surround yourself with at least one people, maybe a group of people who are building into you. I think, you know, so much of leadership and just like life is give, 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 give. And, um, we need those people to come alongside us and say, Joe, you know, um, you're awesome. (laughs) Or Joe, Hey, hang in there. I know it's difficult, but you're, you're going to come through. Or, you know, Joe, are you okay? Like, can we talk openly about what's going on? So I think it's just finding those, or even, you know, people who are going to keep it real, like, hey, that was, what are you doing? Like, you've kind of lost your mind a little bit, you know, you need those people to check in with you. So I think it's a combination of things um, in that regard. But I think, you know, you have to know, like going into whatever God's called you to do, whatever wherever you're leading, you have to know that that excitement's going to wear off, and that passion might kind of dissipate a little bit. So you do need to find yourself environments or and rhythms to remind you and see you through. Mm.
0: What does it? What does a? What does a leader, or how does a leader know what they're passionate about?
1: Mm. So how does a leader know what they're passionate about? You know, I think sometimes I think it's twofold and I think there's, it's, it's, there's two different ways to go about this and it's different for different people. I think some people know when they're like young, what they're, what they're passionate about. And that's that one thing. It could be like, God has called me to the mission field and I'm going to go to India and I'm going to go to New Delhi, India It's like as specific as it gets. Right. And, and that's like, that's, that's their North star. That's where they're, they're headed. And then I think other people, and I think other, I think most people are this way, is they kind of stumble into what they're passionate about. I think about Nehemiah as a great example. You know, Nehemiah, cupbearer to the king, you kind of think about him being at the height of his professional career. You know, he's like, he's there. And then he finds his passion. His passion kind of finds him, hey, the walls lie in ruin. He's like, oh, wow, I could do something about that. So I think sometimes we kind of stumble into what our passion is. And I think sometimes we can find, like, we can kind of know, like, hey, I I, I like, you know, I like, um, I like being, I like speaking. I like, you know, I like um, certain dynamics where, you know, it's a team or, you know, it could be like, hey, I have a general sense that I want to help people or hey, I have a general sense that I want to, I'm passionate about, You could be an issue, like I'm passionate about children you know, but you don't really know exactly where, um, I would just say, you know, how do you know what you're passionate about? Going back to the original question, if you don't know, um, start trying different things. You know, I think sometimes if we get in a position where we're just like, oh, I can't do it. I can't, I don't know where I'm supposed to serve or where I'm supposed to lead or be involved. So I'm not going to do anything. I think that'd be like the worst thing we can do because it's, um, it's in our, it's in our doing things and in our trying, we've kind of find. Oh, yeah, like this is me or this is an area that I thrive in. And I can think about, you know, uh, a few people who it was their life experiences. You know, maybe they did a job in one area, which led to another job, which led to another job. But it was all of those experiences that led to them, you know, this ultimate sort of job where they're using all their life experiences and all of those passions to address this one issue or this one thing. So and nothing's wasted in the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. You can do a lot of different things. But sometimes, again, long way of saying, sometimes you know, hey, this is my passion. And sometimes your passion kind of finds you. But I would just encourage, um, you know, your listeners, just give yourself grace if you're not the person who knows. Like God will show you. Um, your life is not meaningless. You'll find that purpose.
0: But you got to start trying things. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, effectiveness mm-hmm. is defined by success. If How should a leader decide what their success is? Hmm. Okay, how should a leader decide what their success is?
1: Um, which I think is a good point. Sometimes we, um, we're involved in things and we don't put markers in place to know, like how, how do I know when I'm doing things right or when we are being successful? So I think even knowing... Even your question is like a great starting point because I think oftentimes leaders don't do that. Um, I think that you need to, as a leader, you need to write down for accountability purposes for yourself, for others, you need to write down what your metrics are. You know, um, So you could be you know, um, in the very beginning part of, let's say, a project and you're the leader, write down, hey, what do I feel like my personal success is going to be? In this or if it's a group of people or do both like if it's a group of people hey as a group where do we feel like we're going to be successful so I think when you write it down it's like that bold sort of hey we're, we're committing it to paper we're putting it down and then you're checking in on it and seeing like okay first off do we write down the right markers um, but also are we are we meeting what those markers are we doing what we're hoping to be doing so I think writing it down. I'm just a big proponent of writing it down because when you write it down, you're like getting it out of just your mind. You're getting a group of people like common language. You're holding yourself accountable to say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Just write write it down can be one way. And then I think you got to just really ask people. Like I've shared, I really think leadership is how are you connecting with people? You really got to ask people, are we on target? You know, you got to ask people, hey, does this seem right to you? Does this feel like we're we're hitting what we're supposed to be hitting. Cause people are honest, you know, and I'm not saying in their honesty, people are always right. Cause you know, sometimes you get some really bad feedback, like, okay, that's cool, but that's not for me. And I don't receive that. Or that's not what I was looking for, but people are always at least going to be honest for the most part, you know? And so just invite people naturally to be honest with you. That's good. Now, what does success look like for you in your position? Uh, my success in my current role at, at Vanguard? Yeah. Yeah. So I think success for me in, in my role at Vanguard is, uh, is specific to um, am, I, am I building relationships? Going back to my, my job being to build relationships. Am I building relationships that are just between me and you? Because if I'm just like, hey, we know that mutually we like each other. And it's like, hey, you're inviting me to my event. I'm inviting you to your event, whatever. And we're, and we're kind of cool with each other. To me, that's not success in my role. So the success in my role is, are we building relations... Am I building a relationship with you to connect you to the organization that I'm um, working at, which is, of course, is Vanguard, Mm -hmm. right? So my goal for you in our relationship is I want to see you invested in Vanguard. If that's, you know, serving, if that's serving as an advocate out in the community and telling other people about Vanguard, if that's, you know, you're a business leader and this means that you're providing jobs and internships for our students... Mm -hmm if it's you know you're a government leader and you're advocating on behalf of vanguard or if you're uh, a donor and then you're i want to see you give to the university right mm-hmm. so my the way that i determine success is always hey not just do we have a good relationship but is that relationship benefiting the university and then is benefiting the university is determined by everything i just said okay are they doing this if not doing this are they doing that so that that for me is is what it looks like, um, and so every so so from that then I might determine okay I really like this person that's great but if this relationship's not moving the needle for the university then I need to put my energy into a relationship that is
0: hmm. right
1: yeah. and so that might be okay that means I'm cool with you that's great you know there's a mutual affection affinity but instead of inviting you to this event I might invite somebody else because I want to see somebody else kind of go through the process of being engaged with the university. So that that for me would be how do, how do I determine success? It's always, is it is it positively impacting Vanguard?
0: Yeah, it's awesome. What are some other leadership principles that you live by? Yeah, so I think what's very easy is
1: it's always easy to lead people that we like. Yeah. Always, right? Like, Joe, I like you a lot, man, you know. Um, but I think it's always easy to lead people either that we like or where there's agreement. You know, sometimes if we think about like our best, even if it's like in school, some of our best, you know, when you're in working groups or something, sometimes we think, oh, like our best groups are where there's just agreement, you know, yeah. because sometimes, you know, we're conflict avoidant or <laughs> we don't want to go through it. So one of the one of the constant leadership lessons for me is what does it look like to lead when When people are difficult, mm. and the people that are difficult can be an employee that you oversee could be um, you know a situation even that's uh, difficult um, but but I want to like keep this more so focused on a person or people right so when when people are difficult and they difficult can mean they don't like you, difficult can mean they don't like what you stand for, what you're doing the way that the way that you lead. Um they can be manipulative or vindictive towards you. And you, every anybody listening, you could think about that person in your own life in leadership, right? There's somebody. So for me, it's how do you lead when there's disagreement? And how do you lead when people frankly just don't like you? Hmm. Um and for me, I think Jesus has something to say about this. One of the most powerful leadership lessons I learned uh, was from somebody actually when I was in college. And on their desk, they had, um, actually it was on their desk. It was like kind of just like this on their bookshelf. They had a framed number. So a number in a picture frame. And the number was 24. I thought, I, I remember like being in meetings and looking at that and just like always wanting to ask, what's the 24 about? Like, are you a Kobe fan? <laughs> or, you know, are you a fan of the show 24 back in the day? Um, so finally I asked the individual, I said, you, you have a 24 there. I'm just curious what it is. And it's like, oh my gosh, when she told me what it stands for, I'm like, yes, this is amazing. So 24, uh, and it goes back to what I was saying, is how do you lead when people are difficult or don't like you? Um, I think 24 is kind of the leadership number. You know, if, mm-hmm. if leadership had a number, it would be 24. And I'll unpack that a little bit. So 24 is important because of the number that it's not. It's important because it's not 22, I'll explain that, okay? So I want you to think, think 22 and think 24. For those of you that aren't math fans, I've probably lost you, okay? So it goes back to this. It's the life and ministry of Jesus. So on the night that Jesus is betrayed, you know, scriptures, we, we read this every every Easter season, scripture records that um, he washes his disciples' feet, right? These are the 12 people he has called. These are the 12 people he's entrusted to lead, Right? Um, and we know, uh, in the following scripture after that, there is one person who definitely does not like Jesus, right? Judas, uh, who betrays Jesus. But what's powerful about that number 24 is that Jesus on the night he was betrayed, washed 24 feet, right? 12 people, 12 disciples times Mm -hmm. two, 24. So what do I mean? It's important because it's not 22. He didn't wash 22 feet. Hmm. He washed the feet of Judas, the person who was going to betray him. He washed 24 feet, knowing full well that Judas was going to betray him. He washed his feet, which is like in that time, and, and of course, even still today, but really in that culture, was the ultimate act of humility and service, right? Of servanthood. And that's unreal. Like he he was so into his understanding as I've, I've called these 12 to follow me. They're entrusted to me and I'm going to wash the feet of the person who's about to betray me. And that's like wild. And of course, we think like, of course, only Jesus who's full of grace. But I think that's the model for us. So it's like if Jesus can wash Judas's feet, um, I can lead the person that's difficult to lead. I can serve the person that's difficult to lead. I I can do life with or try to engage the person who... Doesn't like me, right? So twenty-four. That's the number of leadership because Jesus washed the feet of every disciple he called, even the one that would betray him. Wow, it's wild. Yeah, really. Who would have thought? Who would? (laughs) I would have been like, "What's that?" I I would.
0: Yeah. First off, I think
1: any of us would have been like, "I don't know if I'm going to wash any of those feet." Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, but yeah. Nonetheless, every every single one. So for that, that for me is a big, uh, big leadership lesson because again, it's so easy to lead when people like you yeah and it's so easy to surround yourself with people who you get along you mm-hmm. know and those like you find your people that way so i think that's one um, but but also i think another kind of leadership principle based upon the life of jesus is um you know there are different leadership styles like should you lead should a leader be the one out in the front and then everybody's following you know should a good leader be the follower and everybody else is leading and um, I think Jesus' approach is usually he's leading from among. Yeah, he's leading. He's right in the middle. He, there are times where he's right at the front, um, but usually his leadership style in Scripture is he's right there in the center.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I think that's no better um, known than what I love is in the Book of John. You think about you know every Gospel is kind of the writer or the author's taste on how they talk about the life and ministry of Jesus. And when it's John's turn to talk about, um, you know, how is he going to explain to his readers who Jesus was? Um, he talks about Jesus and says, of course we know, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Uh, and you go on to say that he was filled with grace and truth. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us, hmm. I love that I think that's I think that's I think we can learn from leadership in that the Word became flesh, God himself took on you know an earth suit, put on some skin, yeah um, and and dwelt among, yeah, you know he could have he you think about it, like could Jesus have come and led and not and not been you know and not have been. Um, as sacrificial as he was. You know, obviously we just talked about washing his feet and obviously no dying on the cross. But that he was he he dwelt among us. He got so close to us that he knew what it was like to live like us, to have loss. You know, Jesus wept. Hmm. You know, Jesus was tempted. Jesus was hungry. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He fully (laughs) understood like the burdens of life and the struggles of life and then the joys of life. Um, but he led from among. And I think to me, that's like where we should be as leaders. We should be right there in the middle.
0: Yeah, it's definitely difficult to lead with people you don't really understand or yeah, d- not being a part of the people that you're leading mm-hmm. or the group that you're leading mm-hmm. and trying to lead from the outside because you don't really have a personal grasp on what that group is going through or yeah. what that group feels. And then you miss it that way. Yeah. Right.
1: You miss yeah. it that way. And I
0: think... I think his
1: example is perfect. And so I would just encourage anybody who's listening to read the next time you read through a gospel narrative to ask yourself and to see like, where is Jesus leading? Mm. Like how, how is his leadership style playing out? Like, where is he physically? Where is he metaphorically? Cause even some scriptures, but like, where is he in scripture? And he's usually among, he's usually right there in the middle of things. Yes.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Any
1: final thoughts? Final thoughts? About We're done, man. You're trying to get me out already? Um, I mean, we can go all night. Final, right? final, <laughs> all final, final, we we don't want to exhaust your listeners. Um, I would say this for my final thoughts: is um, my biggest encouragement to anybody who says either I am a leader, how do I become a better leader, or Hey, I don't know if I'm a leader. What do I got to do to be a leader? Um, biggest encouragement would be to just be you. Hmm. You know, to be you as a leader, it means to be you. As a leader, yeah, it doesn't mean to be a leader as somebody else. And it's very natural, of course. You know, different people have different gifts and um, and personalities and strengths. And we think like, oh, I like that. You know, if I could just take like a little bit of what he has, a little bit of what she has, and I have all that, then I'd be great. And there's something to be said about like, you know, when in our in where we're not strong to see if we can we can get better. But in order for you to be, in a, we talk about effective leadership. In order for you to be an effective leader, you have to be you. And I think about, um, you know, David, King David's example, back when he was a shepherd boy. It's like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to go kill Goliath. But, you know, he's like pressured to put on Saul's armor. He's like, I can't do this. I've not lived my life in military combat. I've not lived my life in the palace. I don't know what it's like to have, you know, military wear on. And he's like, but what I do know is I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion. And how did I do that? I did that with a slingshot. Mm -hmm. Like that slingshot was something that David had every day with him. That was like him. It was him to a T. It was comfortable David. And so that's for us, I would say, is like, how do we get rid of the armor? And how do we carry ourselves um, in a way that's uniquely who we are? Because God's calling you to lead as you. um, And he wants... He wants to empower you. Uh, he wants to come alongside you. He wants to bring others around you to encourage you. But I think it's be yourself. And that means be yourself with your quirks. Like there are things that I do where I'm like, why did I say that? I put my foot in my mouth sometimes. Or, you know, some things where I can, uh, I can do where I'm like, oh, I wish I didn't do that. But it's me. You know, it's yeah. me. And it doesn't mean that that has to be the source of my leadership. But it also means that it's Okay. That, that, that I don't have it all together in all areas. And I think it's actually in those quirks and in the areas of our brokenness where we makes us relatable. So there's like, God will like use that intentionally. So biggest thing is to be is to be you um, for sure. And then what I said earlier, you know, you asked about kind of practical ways or for effective leadership is, is to really, like I said earlier, is to find, like just to go where the energy is. To find yeah. where are those spaces where it's natural for me to step into what, who are the people who are naturally kind of looking to me as a leader? You know, what are the situations that are natural for me? I would say kind of start there and then, and then, um, and then see what happens Awesome. and ask questions. Yeah. Don't isolate yourself. Ask questions.
0: That's good. That's yep. good. You got any final words? <sighs> I think you said it all. Yeah. I, I think you said it all. It, it's, in, in order to be a really an effective leader, you need to be a part of mm-hmm. the group that you're leading. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the main things yeah. um, that you mentioned. And also figuring out um, what makes you weep. I love that mm-hmm. that fact um, about Nehemiah um, mm-hmm. when he wept about the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, really figuring out what made him weep. And not mm-hmm. just weeping, but also doing something about it. Right. Um, being the person that steps up to, to lead effectively. Um, right. To create that change that bothered him so so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining me this month it's my in pleasure. this month's podcast about effective leadership. Uh, make sure you tune in, uh, make sure you like, subscribe and leave us a comment. Um, also if you have any questions about leadership or theology, feel free to email us at alt with a cup of at Can you give me that email one more time, Joe? alt with a cup of And follow us on Instagram at alt cup of joe. And remember, even the small things make a big difference.